What is a woman? When Matt Walsh asked this question in his viral documentary by the same name, he confounded the nation. Progressives recoiled seeing their most loyal foot soldiers attempt to answer but stumble, saying things like, a woman is whoever feels like a woman. The question was rhetorically brilliant. It exposed the linguistic gymnastics and circular reasoning meant to conceal the lie at the heart of the progressive conception of the human being, that we are self-creating individuals. We are whatever we say we are. Reality, if we can speak of it, bends to neologism always. Others were happy to finally see progressives on the back foot, a position much more familiar to conservatives, who, especially when it comes to sexual norms, have lost every fight there was to be had over the course of the past century. Um, owning the libs might be delicious, and it is actually really, really important, but it is not a sufficient political position for any kind of winning long-term strategy. No one is satisfied by the bare minimum answer to Walsh's question, which has become a new conservative slogan in itself, adult human female. And yes, of course, this is the scientific description of a woman. Based on physically observable phenomena like gametes and chromosomes and sexual dimorphism, it's true, it's concrete, but it is incomplete. Human persons are body and soul, and the human soul yearns for recognition and for cultivation. It may be useful to think of the transgender movement as the Gnostic answer to an unanswered soul ache, which year after year has sharpened in the hearts of an increasingly secular and lonely society. The advantage of progressives as cultural creators has been their readiness to provide something resembling soul answers to a dehumanized public, while conservatives, in a sort of libertarian dereliction of duty, have left it up to the so-called individual to decide for themselves what makes happiness. Catholic intellectual history offers us vital perspectives on gender and the politics of sex, ones which, in directly responding to this God-shaped hole in modern person's heart, might even inspire the kind of political revolution, a sexual counter-revolution, that for the sake of each unique soul and the body politic we all desperately need. So, let us return to the question at hand. What is a woman? According to the principle of anima forma corporis, which comes to us from St. Thomas Aquinas by way of Aristotle, the soul is the form of the body. The soul is the essential whatness of the body, the principle that explains its organization and makes it really alive. Our bodies are not appendages for our souls to play with, or lumps of clay in which our souls are trapped. Rather, the body is like the language in which the soul is expressed, through which the soul makes contact with the outside world, cultivates knowledge and virtue, and lives an ethical and political life. There is no such thing as a body being wrong for its soul for the simple reason that each is fully known only with reference to the other. It follows that male and female are aspects of complete persons, of embodied souls, not of souls 
or bodies only in isolation from one another. There can be no dualist separation between the sex of the body and the gender of the person or the soul. Philosopher Saint Edith Stein elaborates on this Thomistic principle, writing, of course, woman shares a basic human nature, but her faculties are different from men. Therefore, a differing type of soul must exist as, as well. To be clear, this is not to say that gender is located in the soul, which is actually much closer to the transgender position. Rather, the embodied soul expresses its own sex. The soul and the body of the human being are never disintegrated so long as we are alive. And so we can deduce from our physical composition something about the reality of our spiritual makeup. What might we say are the defining physical realities of the female? They would include pregnancy, relative softness, and hormonally a propensity to cyclical phases. Each of these basic facts of our being corresponds to medical, uh, metaphysical <laughs> potentialities of virtue. Pregnancy, including conception, gestation, and lactation, corresponds to the capacity, in the words of Abigail Favale, to be receptive, as well as to cultivate a home for and to nourish others. Edith Stein writes, woman naturally seeks to embrace that which is living, personal, and whole, to cherish, guard, and advanced growth is her natural maternal yearning. And again, the woman's soul is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold. There is more. Relative physical softness may correspond to tenderness, a readiness to comfort the afflicted. The cyclical nature of our hormonal processes indicates a mode of living that accommodates frequent change. Women's are icon women are icons of becoming, the liminal connection between past and future. You might even call this principle timelessness, which may correspond to the capacity to preserve and to maintain. One important qualifier, these potentialities also reflect our capacity for vice. The devouring mother, according to Jordan Peterson and Mary Harrington alike, is the dominant archetype of the day. We see it too often in the type of woman who happily delivers her young child to the activist surgeon to have his penis or her breasts removed. Opposing tenderness, there's both the jaded temptress and the frigid careerist who we all know and recognize as deeply unhappy people. And finally, on the point about hormones, a deficiency in constancy would look like emotional incontinence, an excessive focus on the present moment, or an unwillingness to delay gratification. We see this in the embrace of, for example, no-fault divorce, which has made the eternal into the disposable. So now that we know of the body and of the soul, what does all of this mean for politics? Dare we infer from these facts political duties? We know from St. Thomas Aquinas that virtue is what it means for us to reach the fullness of our human potential. It is how we become excellent at being human in relationship with one another in the form of a structured community that Aristotle calls political. So, if the particular capacities of our personhood, body and soul, provide a roadmap for virtue, then they must also indicate a roadmap for our political life, however loose. We can only be offended by or fearful of connecting these dots if we have a completely unimaginative conception of vocation, or if we assume that the physical reality that I've laid out automatically implies blanket inferiority, or 
if we are perceiving gender relations in Marxian terms with men and women as distinct class groups with competing zero-sum material interests rather than as complementary political beings whose mutual harmony resembles heaven as we are. And to be fair, in many non-Christian societies, an anti-woman perspective is institutionalized in various forms, including polygamy, abortion, and the criminalization of girls' education. This is where another key part of the Catholic vision of womanhood can alleviate our internalized misogyny, to borrow a phrase. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was brought into this world through the body of a woman, Mary, whose receptivity to God's will culminated in her fiat. Mary, whose perfect tenderness earned the highest affection and devotion from her son. Mary, a woman of few words but perpetual prayer, whose faith and constancy through thick and thin meant that she remained at the foot of the cross even when so many others could not bear the sight of it. Women are capable of greatness, but modern woman's call to greatness, indicated by God's perfect creation, has been drowned out by a legacy of toxic feminism, which denigrates pregnancy, domesticity, true friendship, and conformity to God's will, all in favor of a sexually liberated girl boss paradigm that rewards promiscuity, atomization, and unthinking yet unwavering devotion to the philosophy of self-creation. It is not that we need to repeal the 19th, or institute white Sharia, or any of the similarly funny memes that occasionally circulate on reactionary Twitter. Rather, a political program that aims for a civilization of love would simply unapologetically invite women into their natural vocations rather than socially and economically punishing them for pursuing marriage and motherhood, for cultivating conviviality, for looking at babies, the elderly, and people with special needs and saying, I choose to take care of you. Carrots over sticks. This invitation will be made more appealing by the additional fact that virtue leads to happiness. Thank you.